0: Perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. There's a modularity and a composability that's just innate to e-commerce, and you know I think in sort of the the, the runaway train that has been e-commerce the last 15 years, we kind of got away from that power. And it, frankly, it was what built e-commerce, and I think we'll continue to build e-commerce as we go ahead.
1: Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was hard scheduling this, but I know this is going to be packed with a ton of value. Why don't you start out with, tell us, who are you? Why are you on the show? Sure. My name is Jordan Brannon
0: president and co-founder at Coalition Technologies. We're a leading e-commerce-focused digital agency. We do everything from consulting to design development, maintenance, custom apps, tons of marketing work. And I've got a couple decades of experience in this space now, uh, running uh, my own e-commerce stores and helping other people just execute and grow their e-commerce efforts. So I have had a a long-time fanboy Thing happening for you, Jay, and I've been uh, <laughs> nagging you enough, maybe, and you, you finally said yes to get me out of out of your
1: hat, not your hair. Just so everyone knows, it's actually the other way around. I had to email Jordan like four times to get him on the show. Finally, he said yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like to make people qualify why they're on the show. So you, you did a good job there. So you mentioned you've been around for a while. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like our paths originally crossed like like ten years ago, probably.
0: Yeah, we started using some bold products for some of our e builds and love the product. It was in sort of the, the nascent and emerging wild west of some of the, the SaaS platform app stores. And I think we really liked finding smart people who were solving challenging problems in e-commerce with the technical limitations we had. And so I think we, we first crossed paths there. And then I think you and I had a chance to actually meet in person for the first time in Austin, Texas, I think, like six years ago. And uh, I was just as impressed then as before.
1: Ugh, okay, I'm going to have to edit this out because you're going to make me blush now. <laughs> so, well, thank you. So, okay, back to Coalition Technologies. When did you start that and why did you start it? Sure.
0: Uh, yeah, We started Coalition Technologies in uh, 2009. Uh, we're actually coming up on our 14th anniversary as of October 1st. I honestly was the one who was sort of drug into the agency side of things. I was working for a large US based furniture retailer doing some design development and marketing work there on the West Coast. And my brother kind of ventured into the professional services game and kind of bullied me into joining the agency. I think at the time we were really sensitive to the fact, in e commerce especially, there was a lack of. Technically competent marketers, and that was really the window that we saw for ourselves. People who knew how to develop and people who knew how to market just didn't exist at that time, especially at a, a small business, mid-sized business uh, sort of scale.
1: Yeah, two thousand nine, and like so, I I ran online stores since ninety eight. Two thousand nine was actually the year that I moved. One of my stores onto Big Commerce, and then in 2000, late 2009, a second store onto Shopify. And like it, I think at the time, Shopify had maybe 20,000 stores. I think Big Commerce had like around 40,000. I remember they had 40,000 on their homepage forever. That was a crazy time to be entering this space. Like there was, I mean, other than that, there was Volusion, there was, I mean, there was still like Yahoo stores. stores. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was for us. We had uh, built our first stores in early 2000s. We were trying to get a better dorm room in college, and uh, we're doing drop shipping. Literally opening a phone book and then calling B two B companies that were manufacturing things to see if we could drop ship their stuff for them. No way. And then setting up exact match domain names, running some very primitive Google Ads SEO. Emailing orders through so they would ship them and then being sort of the customer service. So that was where we cut our teeth. We were early adopters like you of Shopify and Big Commerce. We kind of saw the value of, of flexible SaaS, really focused on small business needs and affordable pricing. And so we kind of caught wind of that, I think, probably about the same time. We're affiliates before they had an actual agency or service provider partner program. So uh, we really
1: have grown up with uh, those two platforms and some of the others that we we hung our hat on. I remember now you mentioned some of this in Vegas at Shop Talk, but I, these these manufacturers they they must have some of them must have thought you were crazy. Like like oh, yeah. this sounds like some type of a scam. You want to sell my oh, products, yeah. not actually mm-hmm. warehouse it. You just sell it and make the money yep. and like.
0: Yeah, I mean it was we got hung up on a bunch. Literally, we were like just dialing out of the phone book, which is, and you had to make guesses. Like, So you're literally going through, this sounds like it could be something. You'd search for these businesses. They didn't even have websites at that point. Uh, You were just really just relying on the yellow pages, and then you're dialing and dialing and dialing. You can come up with one person picks up the phone. They seem kind of interested, then they hang up on you as soon as you're like, how will this work? Well, I'm going to take an order through my e-commerce store. I'm going to forward you that order via email, or I'll fax it to you. And then we'll pay you, and then we'll have a markup. So we we had I think five or six that really uh, got off the ground because you know, we had people who were kind of like, okay, this could work. And those really were, again, they paid for uh, college, paid for a better dorm, um, opportunity to move out of the dorm actually,
1: and in some ways sort of proved that uh, e-commerce had some legs. It's so crazy because those manufacturers weren't even selling online. And now you didn't just have to convince them to ship it to someone. They had to like they weren't shipping products already. Like I I could see a business model right now, like the drop shipping market is is over is saturated. Like you go to if you look at like Uberlow or any of these drop shipping platforms that have millions of products, you take that product, you search in Google, and there's gonna be a thousand people selling it. Yeah. Yep. So I've always thought, well, a way to to beat that is to actually go find websites where someone's making actually manufacturing products. Reach out and say you want to build a brand around it and like content and video, but they're yeah. already shipping. They're already packaging stuff up that you could probably just have a, a price rules app that like you could log into their website and put in the customer's address and ship directly to. Like it would be super easy to do now, but you were convincing them. Anyways, that's you're ahead of the time, man.
0: We tried a whole bunch of different things. We, had, I think one of the up until probably so in 2003, we started, I think around. 2014, we moved into a much larger office space in LA. And one of the things we had to do as we were closing out uh, the prior live work space that we'd been working out of with 30 people was we had a pile of uh, large truck air tire pressure gauges. So they were sort of this pressure gauge that you could attach to your tires, monitor sort of tire pressure. And we had we had actually bought inventory very inexpensively, made our money back, but we just had a ton of them still left. At the time, we'd just been hanging on to them and trying to, they were outdated and everybody else was selling online. And So that was one of the last sort of things we had to do to wrap up our, our e-com operations was unload our, our the inventory we'd held for that time. And so now I'm talking to merchants about how to clear inventory they, they overbought
1: on. I'm like, you know, some level I feel that pain. It's so funny. I've actually never told this story on, on this podcast before, but I'll tell it now because I have a similar story. And if it wasn't for drop shipping, it just kind of dawned on me that actually bold wouldn't exist. And what happened was, so I ran, the stores that I ran were archery stores, like sporting goods, bow and arrow. And uh, like, I was a national champion at archery for four years. And my dad mortgaged his house. We started a pro shop, like we had a range. And and then in 98, took that stuff online, turned that into a, a business. I'm in Canada and the challenge I ran across was like 99% of everything we sold was from the US and I would have that stuff shipped up to Canada. And then I would be shipping it right back to Americans ordering it because Canada was maybe 5% of our sales. And so for me to get a product to someone was without even making a penny, like 20 or 25% markup because I was shipping it up to Canada, duties, customs, brokerage, and then shipping it back down. And I ended up, Uh, we're about 45 minutes from the border. I ended up getting a little warehouse right across the border and I bought a a trailer and I would, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, drive down, ship the stuff from North Dakota and then pick up packages, drive back to Winnipeg and then I would do that twice a week. But it still had a lot of extra costs because I still had to pay duties and and customs and clear the stuff myself. And I kept reaching out to brands and saying, can I just drop ship? Can I, I have a legitimate business? I'm selling these products, but it would be just more... Profitable if I could ship directly from your site, and they every single one said this sounds like a scam. Like, what are you going to live on a beach and just drop ship our, our, our products? And right, yeah. But this, so this was 2008, I want to say, and at that time, dropshipping was already a, a pretty big thing in like right consumer consumer electronics and yeah. other things. But was, but Shopify was building off of yeah at that time. Correct, and but. The archery industry was very an older demographic. They were like 50, 60 year olds. It was not, it's not kids. It's not younger. So, like, anyway, so everyone thought it was like, no, this sounds like a scam. So no one would drop ship. I ended up getting to a point where I had to, I wasn't profitable. I was doing a lot of orders, but I would say it's like a hot dog stand. If it costs you 500 bucks a day to run your hot dog stand, you pay your employees your propane for your food or whatever your costs are. Your first hot dog you sell costs you $500. Yep. The next one, $250. The next one, $125. And it's like on your 30th hot dog, you make money. Yep. And for me, it was kind of the same thing. It was like I had to get to like 50 packages a day before I made money. Because because if I just sold one, I had to drive to the US, do the customs, everything <laughs> else. So like I didn't make money until about package 50 per day. But I was growing it, growing it, growing it, like doing twenty packages a day, thirty pa- and like spending everything I could to keep it in business, and eventually I had threw in the towel and I said, like I just can't get there, like I maxed out like every credit card and every line of credit, and you know these manufacturers had terms they would give but i i I couldn't quite get it to that point of profitability, yeah, and so I ended up <laughs> taking a job with a company to do their s e o work okay and a week later, after I started this job, one of the biggest manufacturers or sorry distributors, so they have like everyone's products, reached out and said, "Okay jay, we're going to try this drop shipping thing and I said, "I literally just like I, I don't have merchant accounts anymore. I shut down the website and everything, but my, my wife said, Well, why don't you start start it up again let's incorporate another business all because at this time in 2009, there was no just turning on stripe to get a payment gateway you had to like guarantee it with your house and it took like 45 days to be able to charge someone's credit yeah. card and so my wife said well let's put it under my name let's start again and so I decided this time to build it on Shopify and I woke up like every morning at like 4 30 in the morning and I was rebuilding the whole site from scratch but had it on Shopify and it it did okay. But the important thing was Shopify had this app store and yep. I saw this app store and I thought, wow, this actually is super interesting. And being a merchant forever, I had all these ideas for like, I, I wanted, it was like a candy store for me. Like, I'm like, yeah. I can do this. I can do this. So anyways, if it wasn't for drop shipping, Bold wouldn't exist either. So we owe both of our, <laughs> both of our companies to drop shipping. Yep. So
0: yep. yeah, we were, we were the ones who were a part of that fabled era of drop shipping, And it's funny. I think, at some point, it became the thing, and, and just everybody was hyping that. And there was tons of affiliate dollars pushing oh. drop shipping to through Shopify. And I soured on it a little bit at that point. But yeah, I mean, I would not be where I am today. And life is frankly a ton better because we had that drop shipping start.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, okay, just a little bit back to coalition, and then I got a I got a, a list of topics I want to make sure I talk to you about because you've you've got a lot of experience in a lot of areas. I think our listeners will benefit from. Just one one last question on coalition: What's an ideal customer for you? Like, who do you what kind of brands do you like to work with?
0: Yeah, we really can work with almost everybody. We've got um, you know some of our, the biggest brands that uh, you could see on earth. We're working with them in the digital marketing and e-com space, but. I think sort of that ideal customer for us is that established small business, someone who knows they have a product or service that they found a good market fit for. And they really need to find a way to evangelize that and get it in front of additional consumers. And that's just ideal for us. So today, we predominantly work with uh, well-established small businesses focused in e-commerce and help them grow in a, a wide range of, of areas. But we are, are pretty agnostic to where you're based in the world We can support very large merchants or pretty small ones. We want you to know that you've got a good underlying business concept uh, that we can help
1: support. So what's interesting to me is that all makes sense. When I go on your website, what you just said makes a ton of sense. And then, But the way our paths crossed again recently was someone from our partner team slacked me and said, Jay, you should see what Coalition's doing. And I'm like, I said, I had no idea what you were building, what you were working on. And they're like, Jay, these guys, are, these guys are awesome. They're building some really cool stuff with checkout. I think the brands that like some of our composable brands in the headspace, they're going to love this. I'm like, and I, and I looked at your website and it's like SEO and search optimization and this. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like You do like all kinds of stuff. So you also do though, you have this incredibly talented team that is building out tools in, for headless solutions and composable solutions. So how, how did that come about?
0: Yeah, it goes back to that founding for us. We, again, started with this idea that the biggest gap we saw in digital marketing and in e-commerce was technically competent marketers. Today, we've recognized that uh, my brother and I can't do that all ourselves. And so we have a great team of almost 300 people who uh, help make us execute on that vision really well. But we see great marketers all the time in e-commerce. We see great developers, great technical teams in in e-commerce. But people who are really keen on finding that 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 point where those two things come together, they come together well and effectively. That to us is sort of where e-commerce is going to grow, where the money to be made for our merchants is. And so we're always looking for that. You know, what is the the technical advantage that will scale for our customers and help them bring in more revenue and do it profitably? And we think if we can find those those edges of e-commerce, we're going to find where e-commerce goes next. And so the focus on headless and composable has been big for us just as a way of evaluating, is there an opportunity here to take that technical skill and apply it in a marketing situation where we can do what's new and innovative and is going to drive tomorrow's positive ROI for, for
1: merchants? So what is your opinion on composable commerce and headless commerce? I don't know if we should define that really quick. We talk about a lot, I think most of our listeners know, but you want to quickly sure. define it and then... I'm curious your thoughts on it. Is it, yeah. is it a fad? Or is it here to stay? Or is it, yeah, yeah I'd love yeah. to know your thoughts.
0: For sure. I think yeah, a composable, the idea there is that uh, you can build the, the tech stack that you want and you need for your particular business case. And so it, it goes back to this uh, idea of modularity. I don't have to buy into a, a monolith that's built by one company with one ethos and one approach to a lot of different needs in a relater- relatively limited sort of view. And so with Composable, it says, you know, I can improve my checkout solution independent of how my e-commerce platform thinks about checkout. I can improve my customer experience independently of what my e-commerce platform or my ERP uh, thinks about those things. I can bring in best-of-breed OMS, ERP, PIM solutions, uh, search solutions, all of these things. I I get to choose what's best for me and best for my audience. And in so doing, I'm going to achieve a, a better outcome. Headless specifically is kind of almost a subset of that composable mindset. And and really, it's about separating out your your front-end presentation layer from the back-end sort of management or database layer. So what someone sees and interacts with is semi-independent of that back-end. And you can pick something that's going to load faster, provide a more unique experience, is easier for your team from a content perspective to manage other uh, than what's maybe happening behind the scenes. And that creates a lot of flexibility on the marketing front. So that's Composable and Headless in sort of a nutshell. I think speaking to fad or not, I think we'll see some maturity, and I think we're already seeing that happen. Composable really sort of hit this accelerated growth streak coming through the pandemic and after the pandemic. And I think there just is a lot of the excesses of that that time period. In e-commerce, we're going to see a lot of those excesses sort of refine to a point where we'll see the real valuable use cases come to the surface and things that were maybe oversold sort of fall away. And I think we're seeing a bit of that. I think there's a lot of staying power here because e-commerce is multi-channel, it's omni-channel today. Um, Audiences expect you to be different in different channels and at different times of engagement. And it's really hard to do that through any kind of monolith, even a really well-built one. I think that's where you're going to see value for Composable. I think you'll see the staying power. And and frankly, I think one of the things I've argued is kind of where we started in e-commerce 20 years ago. We loved Magento back then, uh, the community edition, because we could tinker, tailor, soldier, spy, and we could do whatever we needed to to make the store work for our merchants. And you mentioned your love for Shopify and the App Store and how that sort of got you going. There's a modularity and a composability that's just innate to e-commerce. And I think we've... In sort of the 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 runaway train that has been e-commerce the last 15 years, we kind of got away from that power, mm-hmm. but it frankly was what built e-commerce, and I think we'll continue to build
1: e-commerce as we go ahead. So I've been told that you've been trying to sell skinless commerce. Yes, yes, <laughs> <Can> you- <laughs> I,
0: I I went so far. What's all as this about?
1: Do- <laughs> yes,
0: it is definitely the creepier but more accurate <laughs> explanation for headless. I went so far. We do a, a we're mostly remote, and so we do an annual costume contest for Halloween for everybody. And so I showed up and did that this year's, this past year's Halloween costume contest in a skinless bodysuit. You know, if you just sort of imagine the old 7th sci- grade science textbooks where you have all the skin is gone, it's just muscle and organs. <laughs> and that's how I, I presented I, I turned it into a little bit of a learning moment because headless doesn't make sense, right? The idea when you remove someone's head, the ability to communicate is gone, the ability to think is gone, the ability to have vision is gone a lot of our sensory experiences come from the head. So why would you want to sell headless anything? And I think skinless is better because, again, you're separating the presentation layer from what's actually making things go behind the scenes. And in theory, you could then put on a different skin if you wanted to. It's a little uh, silence of the lambsy, I know, um, with that, (laughs) that analogy. But it does seem to help a lot of our merchants understand what headless actually is. So the presentation layer can come off you can put on a different presentation layer for different circumstances, different skin. So skinless does, I think, work better. It's more accurate. But a smart marketer someplace said, I don't think that's going to get much traction.
1: I mean, when headless kind of became a coin term, I don't know, like 2018, I want to say, yeah. or so, like seventeen, eighteen. I remember thinking that that was a kind of a bit of a cringy term too. Like, but we've gotten so accustomed to it, it's not anymore. So skinless could have been what headless is. if
0: I don't know. We, just I, need gar- we, we all have Gartner that childhood folklore, you know, the, the headless horsemen. So maybe that as kids, we, we yeah. felt like somehow that was more okay versus right. I don't, we, we never had any folklore stories about people walking around without skin. I think that was a straight nightmare fuel. So maybe that's why it died.
1: Fair enough. Well, it could have been. Well, it's it's a good thing you don't work for... Who coins these terms? Gartner and Forrester. When they say it, then it becomes a term, right? Like I know Gartner kind of composable. I think Forrester was the first one that said headless, or was it Gartner? Anyways, I think but, it was.
0: I think it was Gartner, and I think they were. if Commerce Tools has tried to sort of claim ownership of of composable by way of some Gartner report. I think was this is sort of the origin story that, that's being written there.
1: Well, I know Commerce Tools is they've claimed they were the first to kind of use headless commerce. Okay,
0: or maybe that's what I'm mixing so, up.
1: I don't know. Anyways, so you know what these things they've all been around for a long time. It's now that we have a term for it, right? Nike's been composable for a long time. They're not on like it's like so we just have words to describe it. So I want to go down two different paths here. Like I want to talk more about what you're doing in the head of space, but I actually had some questions still on the just like the revenue driving tactics you're using for brands at Coalition because I think that would be valuable for a lot of listeners. So, I got a couple of questions I want to ask on that and then I'm going to come back to composable cuz you're doing some really cool things in checkout. So, you know what? For people listening, if you you're going to just have to stay tuned for that. But before I forget on some of the on what your kind of core business is like at Coalition is what are some of the things you're you're doing right now like in 2007 when I was running stores like I could buy AdWords for five cents a click, and it was glory days. And, you know, obviously everything changes over time. And so, like, a brand comes to you right now and they've got product market fit. You know, they're not getting started, but they're coming to you to drive revenue or traffic conversions. What's working well right now for the brands that you're working with? Yeah,
0: we really have been emphasizing a lot of a cohesive content strategy for those brands that, again, they have that product market fit they maybe are are trying to figure out what that next efficient way of growth is going to be for them. And so that that content strategy has been really, really critical because one of the things that you've seen, you know, our early days in e-commerce, a bad photo plus a lot of text was a win, right? It wasn't much more required to succeed in SEO. It wasn't much more to to succeed in in pay-per-click advertising. There wasn't really social media advertising to speak of, either paid or organic. I think MySpace might have still been contending at the time. And so I think today, it just is the pressure on brands, especially ones that are trying to grow and grow profitably. There is a real concern about how do you hit all of these different channels and capture an audience interest and get that audience to engage and then get them to purchase and then to maximize that value. And so really cohesive content marketing has been a big part of what we're focusing on. So if we're going to put the dollars into generating video content or photographic content or uh, text content, we're going to emphasize user-generated content with reviews and and FAQs and things like that. How do we get all of those things to spin a flywheel into social, into paid, into email, into SMS, into SEO? And that really is working for us and for our brands. When we can start to get a, a cohesive story... Uh, tailor it into these channels, but we're not trying to reinvent the wheel for each of them. That's really a difference maker, especially in sort of a, a little bit of a tighter budget timeframe, wanting to see a higher return on an on investment for, for what we're doing today than what maybe we're doing in the middle of the pandemic. And so that's really uh, being helpful. We're putting a big emphasis right now on user-generated content as a way of solving for the question of human-generated or computer-generated content with AI that's be- really kind of become a problem. And so that's been a big point to focus
1: for us. And that's, again, driving that revenue, driving that traffic, driving those conversions. And so you're saying user-generated content is people know that's legit. Yeah. like it, it just has a higher authority value when someone sees it. Yep.
0: Yeah, and we're, so we're processing in a lot of different ways. So we're, we're certainly emphasizing short-form social-like video throughout the e-commerce experience, whether that's in-app, whether that's actually on a social channel, whether it's on your website putting it into email, into to linked out of texts, all of those different places we're seeing value. We're seeing search engines respond to that favorably in terms of ranking. It seems to be helping with ad conversion and ad click-through. So again, just being able to take that content that's made by real people, um, putting an actual face that's moving on screen like, like I am right now in front of someone as part of that ad or that content is, is really, really crucial. And we're taking some of the cool AI things that are happening and we're using it to reprocess, repackage, what users are saying and doing. And that's, again, proving to be pretty effective in terms of driving some of that uh, that uh, outcome we're looking for.
1: Are you creating all the content? Are you Do you consult with the brands and they create a lot of it themselves? Or is it a hybrid? Or how, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, It's a bit of a hybrid and it does scale depending on the type of merchant we're working with. If it's a very small business, usually there's a, a bandwidth constraint. You've got a business owner, team of three or four people who are doing everything. They're shipping they're doing accounting they're doing customer service and so there's just a limit to do some things and so we'll we'll pick up and carry some of that that load we'll also work with them on implementing some automations to begin collecting reviews ask for those short form videos asking for links to profiles on social media that where they're sharing some of this content incentivizing some of that through loyalty programs and that ultimately is really helping to again get that flywheel spinning for some small business if it's a bigger business we can jump all in on all fronts, and we have a, a great go-to-market strategy there that we can recommend. And again, we can have a little more budget, more team uh, behind that to, to, to push forward.
1: Do you, When a brand comes to you, do you have a typical process you go through to analyze like, where their opportunities are, or where they're, what to cut, what to double down on, or what does that look like when someone comes to you?
0: Yeah, a really great sort of parallel. We, we actually, a mutual friend of ours is Sharon Ghee over at, at Feedonomics. Uh, had had come come to us and we worked with her on a uh, personality test for identifying sort of channel fit uh, for feedonomics. And it did a cool online personality quiz, kind of throwback to sort of the 17 magazine of a bygone era. I think BuzzFeed still does a lot of personality tests, but uh, so did one for merchants that sort of focused on who are you as a merchant, 16 different buckets. And then based on that, you know, what are some of the next steps you should be taking as a, a brand and you know, investing? Should I, should I go to TikTok? Should I uh, continue to look at uh, doubling down on what I'm doing with with Meta? Or should I pivot? And should I really put a lot more dollars into SEO? And what is that roadmap? So we have a, a, a more developed playbook there that our strategy team goes through a consultation with new merchants we're talking to. It says, okay, you're in this type of category. Here's the characteristic, characteristics of your audience, your product, you know, where you are in terms of maturity, budget, uh, the resources you already have at play, and this is a low-hanging fruit for you. This is where you've got to go. We've seen this work. We handle so many different clients. And so it just really gives us a good perspective to be able to make those recommendations with high confidence. It's, again, pretty formulaic. It's it personalized for everybody, but uh, ultimately it does really allow us to make high-confidence recommendations for where you should go
1: next. Yeah, it makes sense. Have you ever had a brand come to you and you have told them that you're not ready to start spending money on driving oh, traffic? Yeah. Like, it's they kind of got the of in front of the horse? Yeah, there's there's certainly situations where and those are challenging, especially
0: when they're funded. Um, a lot of times when you've you've taken some money, there's there's some pressure from investors to sort of make digital work, and that doesn't always work. And so we've we've had some unique cases where you know, we've had a brand has a really innovative product, but nobody knows what it is, nobody knows how to describe it. It solves a pretty clear problem, but it's a an industry that's very saturated with things that already fix that problem, maybe less efficiently. So trying to get that to market is, is very challenging. And it really does require a certain virality to it or some sort of media moment where, again, you know, shark tank type occurrence where you know, people start to really sit up and take, take notice. And so we've had to turn down some clients in that, that particular situation. Or just, we do sometimes talk to clients and say like, you're not really competitive. And your only way you're going to win is if you're the very first person in front of a new potential consumer. And if that's the case, that's a really hard battle to win. If you always have to be first, you know, before them, and it still is going to impact your conversion rate, your lifetime value of that customer, your average order value. So you've got to find a way to be more competitive before you can really consider an effective marketing campaign.
1: Yeah, because you'll just they'll just be forever buying, buying traffic, buying revenue. Like you can always buy growth, but it's unhealthy, and the moment you stop paying, it collapses. Right. So
0: yep, we see that with a lot of these big funded companies. The, the the WeWorks, you know, we're like, we are just going to spam the universe. And as a result of that level of spam, people will show up. But yeah. it, again, it doesn't necessarily have staying power.
1: At some point, it collapses. What's your favorite case study or example? If someone said like, well, tell me tell me about a great success story. Like, what's your go-to?
0: Yeah, we've, we've got a few. One of my favorites is a, a company called Mad Dog Athletics. Not a company that a, a lot of, of people are familiar with, but they operate and own a number of different fitness programs and fitness products. Probably the, the one that they're most known for is spin bikes. They invented that indoor spinning category okay. back in the early 90s. And very well known in sort of the uh, training and instructors sort of sphere. And also has a really healthy consumer uh, bike product and, and training program that's there. But they've been with us for I've had probably eight, nine years now. Started with a, a pay-per-click audit. We were brought on board to just examine some of the places they were spending in Google Ads. I think we saved them something like a quarter of a million dollars. With just that initial audit, we just saw a lot of sloppy setup and campaigns and were able to reduce some of those inefficiencies that turned into e commerce conversion rate optimization, A B testing, SEO, uh, help them with a re platform project to Big Commerce. They run multiple stores now, B2B and B2C on Big Commerce, um, use some of those composable and headless features that Big Commerce has an advantage in and uh, still doing a lot of that uh, marketing work for them today. So that's really fun. Uh, We've got a a great brand called Fierce Fruits, which is uh, just seeing some crazy return on ad spend with us right now. I think like 30x or something like that in meta, which is a hard thing to pull. Again, B2B, B2C. I'm actually talking to them about some subscription strategies, but really a a cool brand as well. They do sort of uh, fruits for like home brewers, so an enthusiast category um, and I love working in enthusiast type categories or hobbyist categories because the audience is so passionate they will hold you accountable for everything you know and so that's always like an area where your marketing really lives and dies by the audience and, and how they respond to it so I uh, love working with that brand because it's just a great product great company really understand who they're making their product for and it makes it super easy for us to
1: advertising for them that's so it's i mean you hit the nail on the head there when they understand their the customer, then they it makes your job so much easier. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a question and you're gonna tell me it's an unfair question, but you have to answer this without, without using the words, it depends at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so all right, all right. you own a company, it's a fashion and apparel company. You're doing about $10 million a year in revenues. You've got a good, you've got a pretty good base, and you've got your boss gives you a hundred thousand dollar. Let's say $100,000 a month. I don't know if that's crazy or not for that range, but let's just say, what are you doing with that money? It's your business. This is your, this is your company. You've sold coalition and now you're trying to grow this fashion and apparel company as fast as you can. And you've got a hundred thousand. Let's say, no, is a hundred thousand dollar a month too much?
0: It's aggressive. I mean, I, aggressive. I, I love it when brands come with us. I think fashion, some fashion brands maybe have the margins to do, you know, essentially a, a, you know, 10% of their... 50. Let's say 50. I'm cutting your budget. Oh, You're good. All right. Man, <laughs> I really didn't do this very well and from a marketing standpoint. My, my no. budget's already been cut. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things that I'm really interested in in seeing moving things forward in fashion. Um, live selling is huge. Almost all of our fashion brands, beauty brands that we're engaging with in that sort of category live-selling, female-focused audiences, young female, financially-empowered audiences. Live-selling is just everywhere, and it's everything. We are working with a platform called Comments Sold, which works with Shopify. It also has its own website, CMS Today. Uh, helps enable live-selling across all major social platforms. We have been working on some of our own live-selling tools with the Checkout Unleashed, which we had mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah,
1: we're get, we're definitely going to get into that, but yeah.
0: Yep, and so just the the return on investment there is is great. Uh, You can take that content, market it a million other ways beyond just the actual sort of sales experience. Very authentic, very sticky. Uh, We're seeing high re-engagement rates from uh, customers, so it seems to be influencing lifetime value, average order value. So I'd probably go in on some uh, live selling, setting up and making sure I've got a studio that's able to do that. Again, looking at some of the tools that are available like Checkout Unleashed if you're you're committing to a particular platform, some of our other partners that we work with. And then advertising that content, cutting it, cropping it, repurposing it. Yep, Mm. It's really good. And then again, that audience, a lot of retargeting. So there's a lot of great AI tools around audience identification and audience development. So just investing in some advertising around like, hey, you are a person who is like the person who is engaging with this we're going to go ahead and, and just use you as our new top of funnel. And so, so that, that'd probably be a really easy way for me to spend $50,000 a month and, and do it profitably.
1: So if I'm hearing you right, you, you would essentially build your strategy around live shopping, that's the substance, and then spin that off into various ads. You can do reels, you can do stories, you can, do, you can have it as rewatches on your site, YouTube. Yeah. But the core is... Live shopping, short form video, yeah, short form video. Yeah, using that live shopping format
0: as sort of the generation point, and that content goes everywhere. Again, like I think one of the cool things we love about the check out on these, I'm not not trying to hammer that plug right now, but um, you can take that content, and I can build it into any landing page or any spot in the e-commerce funnel that I want. And so even like again, my and you mentioned this earlier. You came from that SEO background with sort of these new AI enhanced search results pages short-form video is being pushed Mm. to the top in a way that really never has been before. And so embedding that as part of your PDPs or product detail pages, your category pages, um, landing pages, homepage, we're finding that being something where Google just is hungry for it and um, is actually helping to move that up in search rankings, even for emerging brands that don't necessarily have the, the history of doing SEO really well.
1: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. No, don't feel bad at all about talking about Checkout Unleashed because that's my next on my, my list here—is like That was actually the reason I wanted to have you on this podcast is about, I don't know when it was, maybe six months ago, I saw what your team was building and I, I just thought it was very innovative and thinking ahead and it was just kind of like you're thinking along the same lines as I am on a lot of things and I love what you're building and so let's tell us what Checkout Unleashed is. Let's start there. And then I want to get into like why it matters, why brands should even care. and But what is Checkout Unleashed?
0: Yeah, so Checkout Unleashed is a concept made reality in partnership with Bold Checkout. And really the idea is that Checkout has, for decades, been sort of stuck in the bottom of the funnel. And it has been stuck in these, frankly, poorly designed, poorly executed information-gathering flows. And a lot of times they ignore who you are your experience with the brand previously, your interactions with the product and the marketing previously. And again, from that technical marketer standpoint, that's always been a huge pain point. And we A-B test styling and ordering of forms and form validation and all these other things inside of checkout to just try and eke out a little more in the conversion rate or in the average order value and, and those things. And when Bold was first talking to us about the accelerator program and Bold Checkout and what really sort of you were intending to create in this very flexible, uh, headless checkout experience, we got really excited because it sort of, um, a light bulb went off and I was like, I don't actually have to live with my checkout being that way. Bottom of funnel, (laughs) stuck in sort of this really kind of regimented approach. I can now take checkout anywhere else I want inside of my e-commerce experience and I get to govern where that is exposed, how it looks, and how users interact with it, and I can allow the user themselves to influence the experience of checkout. And so, checkout again unleashed is basically a a number of of headless uh, checkout solutions built to surface a checkout much earlier and much more personally inside of marketing funnels for e-commerce brands.
1: Okay, I want to talk a little bit about what those solutions are. I just, I mean, I feel like I just got like three amazing sound bites right there because I love the way you think about this. I think we have just forever thought that the job of checkout is to collect a credit card and collect an address. And it's really one of the most important steps in the buying journey. Like if you think about a retail store and you go to shop and you got everything in your cart and you go to checkout, if you have a crummy experience with the cashier, it taints your whole experience. Like your whole experience is if you even if the line's too long, as simple as that. Like, like I get so mad when I'm at a grocery store and there's five cash registers, but only two are open, and there's like just delay. But all that is true for online as well too. But it's always just been, you know, if you told someone that product page is a product page, that is, it is what it is. They would laugh at you. They would go, "No, there, there's product pages for fashion and beauty, and there's product pages for electro- consumer electronics, and we got to A/B test them. We got to optimize them. We got to build different product pages for." If I run ads, I want my products on a landing page versus if I want products, I need quick view product pages. If someone's on a category, there's like, but no one thinks about that way about checkout. Like, checkout right. is arguably yep. more important because they're ready to buy. And so it's super refreshing hearing your thoughts on it. So tell me about these solutions or experiences that you've built. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're calling them flows. Flows. Okay.
0: And so we basically set out to tackle a common group of our clients needs where we felt we could bring the checkout experience much higher up in the funnel. That was sort of our first thought. It's like a lot of our, our clients, they are strong brands, killer products, competitive in their market, great reviews. Why do I have to wait for category to product detail page to cart to checkout to sort of get someone to buy? And so we wanted to sort of say, okay, well, here's the situations we see where we can move checkout much earlier in the funnel effectively. And so the first one that we built was basically a checkout experience on a product detail page. If I reach that product detail page, I have a the specific example we, we built was for a high ticket item. People are not buying two, three items from the store, they're buying one engagement mm-hmm. rings was sort of the, the example that we solved for. I've spent a lot of time shopping, I see the reviews, I know the gemstone that I want, I know the cut that I want, I know all of these things. Why do I have to sort of navigate through a bunch of extra steps to get a real mm-hmm. rich checkout experience? And so building that into the product detail page was sort of the first flow that we, we thought of as, as a solution. Now, that works for a lot of other industries other than high ticket items. But um, again, really compelling for those brands where there's one item, big purchase, all of the information you need is, has been embedded. You've really built these amazing PDPs to just cover all of your bases. People are excited, they're ready to buy. Let's take the credit card right there and sort of the next use case we looked at was someone who is engaged with a brand is a part of their communication flow either through email or sms uh, so we built an integration with Klaviyo that basically if they're tagged as part of a particular audience segment for having purchased this other product previously there's no reason that in my follow up marketing to them that i should just dump them back into a generic i've got to go back shop the pdp go back to cart go to checkout Brief complete all of my checkout information. And so in this particular example, we had a upsell to subscription, which we were able to achieve because Bold has a, a great history with subscription builds. And so we sent a Klaviyo email out to customers, and again, who had purchased a, a jewelry cleaning product. They'd made a one-time purchase, but we know it's something you'll run out of periodically. And so we're aiming for this subscription upsell with a discount. And so as soon as they clicked, instead of going back to the product detail page and then having to choose their subscription length and then having to sort of go to, the we just basically put them right back into checkout. Their information from Klaviyo is passed uh, directly into the checkout so we know who they are. Uh, we have a lot of their information already present inside of checkout. And so they just had to hit submit. So you basically have one-click checkout from email uh, with Checkout Unleashed, Bold, and uh, with big commerce and Klaviyo, which is just so killer. Probably my favorite one we did just recently was a live selling demo. We went live on YouTube. We had a what we call a checkout drawer with a pre-built shopping cart. So I was trying to pretend to be the influencer. And we're actually working with a, a couple of automotive enthusiast brands where, again, influencers are a big part of the marketing strategy. But went live and I'm talking about specific products. Those products are available for purchase in a checkout drawer which you can just pull up on mobile really easily, uh, swipe up, swipe down to collapse or bring it up. The products that I'm talking about are already present. I have my checkout solution there. I don't have to leave the video content. Super cool thing about this is I can embed that on a fixed landing page as a brand. So with the growth of social media, uh, we're seeing a lot of people invest a ton in content that dies in their influencer or partner feeds because the next time a video goes live, your video is gone. So they can take that video content, embed it in their own landing page, keep it alive, have a dedicated experience just for those collaborations and still have that checkout empowerment right there. All without requiring, I'm going to leave the influencer video feed, go to the product detail page, have to redo this whole sort of buying thought process. I've lost something that I was being entertained by now. I have to make the checkout. It it doesn't happen. And so uh,
1: this really was a cool sort of implementation one we're really excited about. I mean, when you think about it, like those three just make... So much sense like it's not i don't mean this in a bad way, but it's like not like rocket science like you see something you're inspired to buy on on a live stream, you should be able to buy it there but we've been it's like conditioned to you know what I think it is it's the way evolution of technologies work. we always think one step we don't skip, and so like because we had retail stores and we pushed around a shopping cart, we kind of use all these same Analogies and stuff online, like we shop categories, we put it in the cart, we add it to basket, we go to cart, we go to the checkout. It's literally like take that on. But if we had never had this retail world and we just kind of dropped into digital, like like let's just say like a kid who's born today, who's digitally native, who never goes to retail stores, who only shops online, like what kind of experiences are they looking for? What you're building makes so much sense.
0: Yeah, I think we were excited. That was part of the inspiration for us as we were seeing some uh, retail brands really succeeding by changing the options for people's purchasing in the pandemic. Um, We're like, why is e-commerce where all of the sort of big structural investment, essentially ethereal, right? We're we're dealing in code um, and pixels. Why is that so much harder to move than the way that we saw retailers pivot in the pandemic with buy online, pick up in store, ship to home, a local delivery, peer-to-peer delivery, you know, returns to Amazon online returns to different retail stores. We're like,, ah, this doesn't make a lot of sense why digital can't be more flexible. And so we got really excited, I think, with checkout Unleash because it allows us to, again, we're coming out of sort of this narrow way of thinking, which again, just you don't know why you were there for so long.
1: Well, I think too, like that checkout on the product page embedded, I think what a lot of people don't think about is their their competitor is not necessarily another brand selling that Jewelry Ring, their competitor, is a notification on that person's phone that pops up. It's their kid from the other room saying, dad, mom, and I, I mean, everyone listening can probably put up their hand and say, they have saw an ad, clicked on it, and got distracted. It happened to me last week, I actually talked about it on our last episode, so I don't want to repeat myself with the same analogy, but it was, it was for a book, saw an ad on Instagram, clicked it. I think it was in a line at a drive-thru. I don't know if you can be on your phone when you're a drive through, but you're you're, you're still your part, anyways. And then the drive through started moving, and I I got distracted because I didn't have, didn't go through. They didn't have Wallet Pay, is what they didn't. So it's not that they're competing against another store. It's the millions of distractions that can happen, and and people say, does a second really matter? Does how hard is it to add something to the cart and go to checkout? I'm like. Within the span of three seconds, there can be a text message can come in, a phone call can happen. Like there's just so much. Like every second makes such a difference. I love, I love that going straight.
0: It's almost that reverse. Like it's a reverse augmented reality where reality is intruding on digital, and we think about augmented reality as sort of digital intruding on reality. But I mean, that's actually I, I don't know that I've ever run an A/B test that says. What percentage of my, my purchases fall off because of something that happens in, in the real world, and that's actually probably really I'm excited I've, again, I probably have fifteen tabs open in Safari on my phone right now that are checkouts that I haven't quite completed because it was taking too long and I got distracted
1: and have you ever opened a tab on your browser and then forgot why you opened it? Yes
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to speak to my age, but that is happening a lot
1: more frequently than it, than it used to for sure so it's like so you could probably click an ad. Click on another tab in your browser because something comes in and then completely forget what you're doing and forget to purchase whatever you' that moment of inspiration like that window doesn't last for long. so why did you think this was so important? like what made you like did you see this as a need for brands you're working with like or just what what kind of inspired you to take this on?
0: again, it's that marketer ethos like we put all this work into getting the audience to the experience and then we have so much optimism and confidence that what we're doing is going to drive conversions and drive meaningful outcomes for the brands we're working with. And I hate that a technical barrier or workflow would yeah. be the reason that all of that goes to waste. So I think, again, that there's that sort of... I'm a little disgruntled about that. And I think also there's just sort of this, again, this we're in this era of we're coming off of the pandemic high. Everybody thought the pandemic sort of post- a pandemic growth was going to continue forever. And so now a lot of e-commerce brands are expecting a lot more with a lot less. And our job is to figure out how to do that. I, I can object all I want to the the rationality behind it and whether it's a valid way of approaching marketing. But at the same time, that's my job now because that's what my my clients are saying is my job. And so a checkout unleashed allows me to find a way to do more with less. And frankly in a way that I think will really change sort of the e-commerce paradigm in a lot of ways for your own D2C sites and apps and things like that going forward. So that's something I'm really excited about. And I see sort of as being the driver for it.
1: Okay. So there's probably people listening right now that this is perking their attention. They're they get it. They see the light, if you will. What kind of brands can use this? Uh, is there certain brands it's good for? Do they have to be on specific platforms? Or if someone's listening and they're interested, how do they get started?
0: Yeah. I mean so checkout Unleashed, I think it does have a, a lot of opportunity for brands of all sizes. Again. Our kind of target categories at well-established small business up through a probably small enterprise in terms of e-commerce transacting. Although I think again, enterprise brands usually learn a lot from what's happening at sort of the more nimble smaller business side of things, and so I expect we can be kind of a front runner there. So really, anybody can access I think the the, the value of it. And I think frankly, I, I have yet to see sort of a, a situation where I've said this industry, this vertical, this product couldn't benefit from some checkout improvement. So we're looking at B2B examples. We're looking at sort of hobbyists. We're looking at DIY content and how that can be used to service e-commerce checkouts right inside of DIY content. There just it really does seem to be a huge opportunity for anybody in e-commerce to get get on board and to checkout Unleashed. Uh, checkout Unleashed has to happen with uh, Bold, and so a uh, Bold is uh, really critical. We've built the solution there. So any of the e-commerce platforms where Bold a Checkout is, is a part of, of how they're approaching improving their experiences. We're specifically focusing on big commerce because of their open SaaS commitments. I think more than any other SaaS platform out there, there really is this idea that they are going to be a part of a better composable future for uh, brands. And they won't necessarily know everything and know how to do everything perfectly. So they want their brands and their partners to figure that out. There's some other platforms out there, which I won't name, but you know there's a bit of an ethos of we're going to consume the whole market and we want everybody to do it our way, regardless of if that represents a step backwards for some brands or not. And so there is, I think, a big, a big draw there with big commerce specifically, although a bold checkout you get support a lot of different platforms we work with as well. So that's been really appealing to us. We can invest in these tests, and we know that they're going to be able to carry over to Adobe and elsewhere.
1: Awesome. Well I appreciate all the plugs. Wasn't necessary, but I appreciate it. (laughs) So no, it's really it's I highly recommend. Is it like if they go to Coalition Technologies slash, is it like checkout unleashed or what's the best way to like learn more?
0: Coalitiontechnologies.com forward slash checkout unleashed, checkout dash unleashed, I think it will get you there. And if it doesn't, I'll make sure it does before uh, this call is over. But yeah, that's a great spot. Certainly you can connect with us through LinkedIn and through any number of other uh, social channels. We're talking a lot about what we're doing in Checkout Unleash just because it is really exciting to us as a marketing company and also as a a design dev shop.
1: Awesome. Okay, I'm going to, Jordan has an an offer, which I'm going to get to in a second, but I asked all our guests these lightning round questions. One day I'm going to put these all in a blog post of like, 20 guests, 20 answers, and it's every single answer to each question, so people can scroll through them. So no pressure, but this is gonna get published one day. Okay. And then after that, you've got a special offer for everyone listening. So if you're listening now, don't tune out because he told me what his offer is, and it's pretty awesome. So let's let's do this lightning round really quick, and then we'll get in the offer, and uh, we're at time. So first question, and you, you can't take long on these, Jordan. You can. I'm not gonna say one word, but like one one like thought. What's the biggest mistake in e-commerce you've made? or you see brands making?
0: Thinking that whatever is the hot thing in the market is going to work for them. Hmm. So just pursuing trends, I think, is probably the biggest thing. If, if you've got successful business that's working in a lot of categories, don't blow up advertising budgets or strategies just because something else is trending.
1: Do you have a pet peeve when you shop online?
0: I hate, actually, because of Checkout on niche now, I, I really hate when I have to get into that normal checkout flow. That really is driving me nuts, where... I feel like I'm being forced through a funnel. And I, I don't <laughs> think anybody's comfortable with that idea.
1: I've actually started this is my, when I get into a, when I'm, I shop online a lot. And when, I, when I'm in a bad checkout, I, I always start screen recording because oh, I'm God. like, oh, I, I got to show the team this. So I got we, we do checkout teardowns at town halls where each good. Thursday now, it used to be Fridays, people do a checkout teardown and they say like, what's good, what's bad. So I find myself <laughs> recording a lot of checkouts.
0: Yep. I've started replying to the order confirmation emails. Here's what I hate about your experience a yeah. lot. Oh, <laughs> but just in case you need help, I'm here for you.
1: Yeah, that's aggressive, but I why not? I mean, it, it can help. What's your favorite thing about your job?
0: I love watching really awesome, creative people come up with really awesome and creative solutions to things. Uh, so we, I think bygone era, it was my brother and I doing everything. Today, we've got almost 300 people. Uh, they're all amazing, and uh, uh, I it's just love crazy. seeing them just solve problems I would never be able to. And do really creative, innovative things that I wouldn't have thought of.:
1: Yeah, that's so cool. I just I mean, it's not just three hundred people. it's three hundred families, kids. People have probably decided to buy a house and and or get married or buy that engagement ring because of the the business that you've built. Like, yep. it's yep. It's incredible. What's your favorite online store, or the last place you bought something if you don't have a favorite one?
0: <laughs> last place I bought something was Amazon. Sorry. It's a little bit too easy. I really like, and again, maybe plugging one of our, our projects. So we've got Spiceology, which I, I'm, I've i gotten into smoking yeah, yeah. things. I'm um, not smoking things, but on like a grill.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> so Spiceology has some really cool uh, spice blends and mixes. And uh, we've done a couple of stores for them now, but I started buying their products because I was doing uh, smoked nuts, smoked meat, and I uh, just love testing some of the different uh, rubs and things that they do. So that's uh, my favorite online store right now.
1: I'm gonna actually check them out. You just, I have a trigger, and I love smoking things as well too. So I'm gonna check that out. What is the number one you number one thing you think stores could be doing to grow sales, but they aren't?
0: I think asking for more, and actually one of the cool features we again built check checkout unleashed is that upsell. Is I think just the simple act of asking other asking their customers who are in that checkout flow to buy an additional item, increase their purchase, or buy again. It baffles me that you know you can increase. Uh, Your revenue by 25 30 percent in some cases, just with a simple little widget that says, Add this to your card, or add this to your checkout, add this to your order.
1: Like, especially considering that in every retail store, that's an entire position. You have a salesperson on the floor who is their entire salary is based off of selling you more things. There's a crazy stat it's 80% of people who walk into a store to buy something would buy something else if offered the right product the right time if it's the right price like it's yep. you're actually doing the customer a favor by yep. offering them another product because they if i'm buying a backpack i want to be offered the uv spray for it or the yep. carabiners or the yep. whatever <laughs> so yep. yeah i'm trying to get into fishing
0: and like bought a pole in one place uh, from one of our merchants but also needed to buy a tackle box and like a little thing to carry it and i, I don't know what i'm doing and a little bit of education with a built-in purchase, I would have probably increased my my purchase from any one of those stores by 100%. three or four X, yeah.
1: Yeah, I got really upset. I, I should have sent an email like you do. That I bought a mountain bike during COVID, and uh, I wanted to buy more. I wanted to buy better pedals. I wanted to buy better hand grips. I wanted to buy better, but I didn't know what to buy. I wanted to get, like, what was the, but I just, Bought the bike and it went straight to you know the generic checkout. I, I wanted to, there was no chat and like I want to buy more. So then I started reading blog, But that store could have doubled their cart size on me. Right. But yeah. Last question. Pretty much most of our listeners, they're business owners and they're entrepreneurs. are running their stores. You are a business owner and an entrepreneur, and you have run stores. Do you have like any favorite quotes or life advice or something you would tell yourself twenty years ago or just just some nugget of wisdom you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, I think actually I was just talking to another tech startup founder here in the Northwest yesterday and he's kind of, they've hit sort of that maturity level. He's got some investors and he's frankly feeling like it's, it's something fundamentally different than what he founded. And he's sort of going through the, frankly, almost he's lost sort of the passion for what he's doing. And my advice to him was, I think I, I would summarize or distill it down to passion pays. And so in your business, find ways to stay passionate even if it involves course changes even if it involves pivots even if it involves chasing some hobby projects alongside some of you know your core revenue things because there is a, a lot of things that show that you know founder led companies still outperform and i think a key part of that for founders to stay engaged is you have to find something you're passionate about mm-hmm. most of us are still here because of we're still maybe riding on some passion we had early and so you want to kind of find a way to keep that that I think the other thing I would say is, you know, don't feel pressured to make money the way other people do. I see this in a lot of e-commerce industries and verticals where uh, there is this sense that I always have to do what the big guy is doing. You know, 20% growth is not enough. I've got to do 100% growth. I need to adopt this marketing practice, this technology stack, this solutions, this team approach, this software. Simply because I'm seeing everybody else doing it. If you're finding a way to make your business work, you're making customers happy, uh, you're profitable, you're growing. Again, one of the fastest ways to sort of blow all of that up is to start trying to do what other people are doing. So, really finding what you're going to be loyal to and what's working for you, I think, and then really making sure you mature based off of that. It it gives you so much strength to work off of in the future.
1: Yeah, that is fantastic advice. I want to just add one thing because it resonated with me is like with Bold. My role with the company has changed many times in the last eleven years now, and I've been able to remain very passionate about it. But the things I'm doing today are different than what I did when I started did year three, so I think even like layering into that, be passionate about it like you can find different responsibilities within what you do too. Yeah. and so like right now, I spend a lot of my time talking to people like you and at events. So I'm doing a lot of like engagement with partners, and and I love that. I didn't do that five years ago, but maybe in three years that might not be so. But it doesn't have to be that you throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Find things that you can be passionate about within within it too. So.
0: And if you, have, yeah, if you have great people around you, that's so much easier to do. We just promoted our, our first non-brother executive. We have our VP of Marketing Services, Rebecca. She's grown up with us, and she's allowing me to do some of the things that I'm passionate about in helping us find that next stage of growth. And I just know that she's honestly the better hands for our clients to be in. And so, you know, again, building a great team and trusting them to sort of do some of the things that maybe you're not as enthusiastic or even as capable of doing as you used to be. You don't fake it till you make it, you know, play to your strengths.
1: Love it. Okay. Well, you've got a wicked offer. You told me about this just before we started recording. So this is a... Big plus to listening to the end of episodes. Jordan, tell us what you are offering our listeners and if they're interested, how they can redeem it or contact you or follow up with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we're offering to anybody who calls out this podcast as part of how they heard about us, we're doing a four hours of a free service and that can be applied to any scope that we regularly handle. So we work with a huge range of platforms that can be designed, that can be development. That can be a content, a marketing strategy, paid audits, ADA. I mean, just we do a ton of territory so we can really help most e-commerce businesses someplace. Again, four hours is, can be actually almost $1,000 worth of work just depending on what you yeah. ask us to yeah. do. So that's a, a really, I think, compelling offer. Just let us know that uh, you heard about us that way. And we're excited to uh, do that. And again, you can just go to that Checkout Unleashed landing page that I mentioned, which is just checkout-unleashed, coalitiontechnologies.com forward slash checkout dash unleashed and just drop that into the message there and we'll make sure that we get that to taken care of for you.
1: Well, that is extremely generous. I'll make sure to put all the details in the show notes as well too, in the link. And yeah, as you said, worth a thousand dollars. I mean, go and rate most agencies are 200 to 200. Ah, some New York agency are 350 an hour. So I mean, it could be more. So I, yeah, no, very, very generous offer. And thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing all this. I think there's a lot in here that our listeners will take away. Are there any social platforms you're active on or where can people follow you and and learn more about your business? And we'll leave it at that. Yeah, LinkedIn
0: is probably where I'm most active. I'm being told by our marketing team that I need to do some more short form video (laughs) um, because I keep talking about it so much. So you'll probably see more of me on the likes of YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. But um, LinkedIn is definitely the easiest way to grab my attention uh,
1: today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week.